I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert sourced, expert vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to two of the biggest experts in the miraculous healing properties of stem cells, Dr. Robin Smith and Dr. Max Gomez. Dr. Smith is a global thought leader in regenerative medicine, having served as CEO of NeoStem, now called Caladrius Biosciences, a biopharmaceutical company specializing in stem cell therapies, and having founded the Stem for Life Foundation, which is devoted to fostering global awareness of the potential for regenerative medicine to treat and cure a range of deadly diseases and debilitating medical conditions, including things like stroke, heart disease, diabetes, MS, orthopedic injuries, and more. She, along with Dr. Max Gomez, is the author of the book, Cells Are the New Cure, the cutting-edge medical breakthroughs that are transforming our health. Dr. Max Gomez is medical correspondent with CBS News, who spent more than three decades producing health and science segments for network stations in New York City and Philadelphia. Max has earned nine Emmy Awards and was named Man of the Year by the American Health Foundation and was just inducted into the New York National Academy of Television, Arts, and Sciences Gold and Silver Circle. You can learn more about Dr. Max and his work at drmaxgomez.com and about Dr. Smith at robinlsmith.com. So welcome. I think that was the longest introduction I've done for anybody. So, but you you have done so much in this very important world of stem cell research. So thank you for being here, doctors. Um, it's our pleasure. This is a, it's an it's really really an exciting field, and there's just so much to talk about. And I think people really need to know and hear uh, how far along we've come with uh, with this area that was used to be controversial, but it really shouldn't be anymore. And that's part of what I think we want to talk about today. So let me start with, the, the name of your book even, to me, is in some ways controversial because it was called Cells Are the New Cure. And the, the word cure is not a word that's lightly used in medical world. They, for somebody to say we cured something in the medical world is a huge thing. So are they really curing diseases with stem cells? Well, you know, it's funny, and I think it's really interesting that you point out the, the cure word. Um, it, in the past, we're so used to treating symptoms, and here we have an opportunity to actually use cells, use the biology to repair damaged tissue and um, put things back into function where there is damage and really cure diseases as opposed to just treat the symptoms. So literally curing like they don't have it anymore, or is it curing like they don't have, they still have to manage it kind of, sort of? No, it, it, it can really be truly uh, a, a cure, and this is happening already in a variety of different different areas. Uh, you probably know that, uh, I'm sure that you know that uh, oncologists, cancer doctors, don't like to use the C word, and that's not cancer, it's cure. Yeah, I know. But there have been uh, a couple, at least so far, a couple of FDA-approved uh, treatments that some of the top oncologists in the world and in the in their fields are actually using the C word, the cure word, because it looks like that is a long, uh, you know, as, as they like to say, a durable remission that if it goes long enough is essentially indistinguishable from, from really a cure, and they're using the word cure. That's really amazing. All right, so we're going to go through the different areas and the different diseases that stem cells are being applied to. But before we do that, I kind of feel like we have to address and dismiss the ethical debate because when people hear stem cells, I think they still go straight to, oh, but that's killing babies and that whole battle over embryonic stem cells. So 
what's in today's stem cells that they're now being able to do all of this? Well, you're, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. And people tend to lump all stem cells together and they're, and they're not all uh, the same. And in fact, um, Robin and I have helped organize uh, four international scientific conferences that started out with uh, stem cells and then grew larger into cellular therapies writ large, uh, held that and co-sponsored by the Vatican. So the Vatican is okay with this, and the reason is that what used to be stem cells only came from embryos, they were embryonic stem cells, and in the view of the church and many other people, uh, the only way to get embryonic stem cells was to destroy an embryo, which to them was destroying a human life. Right. So that's why they were completely against it. But then, now maybe 15 years ago or so, uh, when Robin and I uh, went to uh, med school, I'm older than she is, so you know it, it, it was when I was uh, going through through med school. There was no such thing as an adult stem cell. Uh, you know, there were only embryonic stem cells. And then, you know, about 15 years ago, it was discovered that we have so-called adult stem cells in pretty much every tissue in the body. There's lots of them in fat, and they're in, they're in muscle, they're along blood vessels, um, they're in brain, liver, so that uh, if we know how to manipulate them, talk nice to them, you know, sing songs to them, take them out to dinner, whatever, uh, you can get them to do almost anything you want. Um, and so the need for the embryonic stem cells uh, has pretty much gone away, maybe not 100%, but we can probably do almost everything you can do with embryonic stem cells with adult stem cells. So we don't need to go down that um, ethical uh, and, and, and morally controversial route. So where does cord blood fit into this? That's a great question. So stem cells from umbilical cord and the placenta are adult stem cells. Um, the, the embryonic stem cell definition is at, the, at a stage after the um, fertilization of the egg at which there's 16 cells and that cell bundle can become a person. It's where you cloning would come from. And so it's at that stage is tr the true definition of an embryonic stem cell. So anything after birth is considered an adult stem cell. Got it. And though, so I'll, I'll stick on this for one more second. I, sometimes just the science fascinates me and I go down those tunnels. Um, the, are all stem cells equally powerful at this point in time? Should people, because there are a lot of people who are storing their cord blood, right? Or they talk about whether or not they should store their cord blood. Does, does that have more power for future than all these other adult stem cells from all the other body parts? You know, I, I think that for the baby who you're storing the cells for, or potentially a sibling, it's their own cells. They're very early in their life. so as there's replication and, and you get older, um, they're very healthy young cells. And so for that individual, it's um, great to have them, uh, but there's a lot of people who've already been born and don't have the opportunity to have stem cells collected from their umbilical cord. So, it, you know, there's, there's different sources of cells. Got it. Are there stem cell donors? Do I, can I give my stem cells to, for, you know, use my stem cells for my husband, or does everybody do these treatments only take my, you know, individual stem cells to treat themselves. And now, now you're getting, now it starts to get a little more complicated. Oh, good. <laughs> the, the, very young, uh, the younger the stem cells 
at least theoretically and, and, and very likely, the more powerful they are in their ability to turn into a variety of different cells and, and, and tissues. And they just, you know, young is better than old. And, and uh, in most cases, uh, I think we can all agree with that. Um, and that's the same, case, same thing with cells. As they grow older and differentiate, then they start to lose a little bit of their power to make new tissues and make other cells. Um, and then you also get into the situation where truly adult, adult stem cells, cells that you might donate to give to your husband, then they have already uh, exhibited some of the tissue markers that might cause them to be rejected uh, and probably would if they were uh, transplanted or implanted or you know, given to your husband. So the very early ones, some cord blood placental cells, look like they might be generic, meaning they don't have those tissue markers, so they wouldn't necessarily be uh, rejected. But as you get older, your stem cells, those adult stem cells, start to show up the little markers that will require you to have your cells matched to whomever it is that you're going to give the cells to. Well, I was really trying to think about, I was lining up the idea of donating my fat to other people. <laughs> you don't have enough fat to donate. <laughs> well, it's there. But, you know, we could have a whole business of donating fat, but apparently that's, that's not it. That we all, that essentially, it sounds like overall, it's you donate to yourself, that, that these treatments, and now we'll, we'll start to go through the different treatments and what people do. But it's not sure, like yeah, there's donating a... Donating to yourself is always, I mean, that's... Uh, you know that part's easy. Uh, it, it's the where where you're. But the problem is there, of course, is uh, if you're already sick, you may not your stem cells may not be really uh, as effective to, to to treat you. So what we really need is the ability at some point to have uh, other cells or a, a large enough source of uh, stem cells to be able to meet what could turn out to be a huge demand. Right. Okay. So let's go through some of these miracles because I think that. You know, people aren't aware, they kind of hear about it, but they have no idea at a, you know, a specific level the many health challenges, like significant health challenges that are being abated by this. So first category are things are called stem cell treatment. We talked about things like bone marrow transplants, cardiac, stroke. So what are some of the major areas of those, I'll call them miracles? I mean, bone marrow transplant's a great example because that's been going on for over 40 years. And that's an area where, for the most part, you do get cells from someone else, umbilical cord or a donor. A person has cancer, they get chemotherapy to destroy the cancer cells, and it also destroys your immune system, those cells in the bone marrow. So you have to get cells from another person to repopulate, or an umbilical cord to repopulate um, your immune system so that you can fight off infection after those cells have been destroyed. But now we're learning more and more how to use these cells for other damaged tissue, not necessarily from chemotherapy, but for example, the heart after a heart attack or congestive heart failure, the brain from having a stroke. In orthopedics, once you are a weekend warrior and you destroy your cartilage in your knee and your hips, those are just a few of the areas where there's been a lot of work using stem cells. And are these currently active, approved, I could go into my orthopedist tomorrow and fix my knee treatments? Not for your knees, but let's go back to the, the, the bone heart. marrow transplant where okay. you're basically getting 
in the bone marrow are stem cells. Those are the cells that are really going to regenerate uh, your bone marrow and your immune system that's been uh, destroyed by usually by chemotherapy and or and or radiation. How about heart attack and stroke? All, the others are all very active areas of of research, uh, but they're and they're in clinical trials and they're and it's being done, but it's not quite ready uh, in the sense that you can go to your orthopedic surgeon and say, you know, fix my knee with uh, with stem cells. Although some people are are using them and trying that out uh, in kind of off-label uh, ways, but it's not it, it's not widely uh, used. And the other thing is, all of these things. Uh, what we're learning is the devil is in the details. So when which cells are the best to use, where you put them in, how you put them in, when you put them in. For example, cardiac putting stem cells into the heart. It all depends on when you put the cells in, and you, you can't put them in right after a heart attack, for example, because the heart's a hot mess then. There's a lot of stuff going on. You put stem cells in there, they're just going to get chewed up. But there are uh, ways, how do you deliver them into the, into the heart, for example, when you do that. All of those things, all of those details are the kinds of things that have to be worked out in experiments, and those experiments are being done. Got it. And I mean, just frankly, the idea of stroke, I'm, I'm, I can't even imagine what, how they're injecting cells into the brain um, to, to do that. I mean, I'm getting horrible pictures of needles in my skull, but. <laughs> well, actually, you know, that, that there, there was um, a clinical trial done at Stanford a couple of years ago now, um, and I'm sure they've expanded it, but I don't believe they've published it beyond that. Um, it was published. The uh, chief of neurosurgery uh, at Stanford took people who had, uh, who were chronic stroke survivors, meaning they were a year or more out. And the conventional wisdom in stroke is that whatever function you get back after six months or a year, that's all you're ever going to get back. Now we know that that's, that that's not the case. But here, so these were chronic stroke survivors in some cases. Uh, mostly unable to speak, in some cases not really able to walk and so forth, partial par partially paralyzed on, on one side, um, and took, again, generic stem cells. Uh, the, I think they did about a dozen or 15 uh, patients, took uh, generic stem cells donated from, I think, just two donors, and injected them. It's called a stereotactic. It, it's a very thin needle. They made a little burr hole in the skull. And down a long, thin needle, injected these stem cells into the area that was damaged by the stroke. And it was actually, and I've seen some of the video of this, remarkable the functional recovery that some of these, um, that most of the patients got. They all got some recovery, and some went from being in a wheelchair to being able to walk and being able to talk again. There was one young woman who'd had a stroke who, uh, uh, could barely speak, and she's—I believe she's married and had a baby since wow. the treatment. So it's—it's a—it's remarkable what you can do, and and again, it's all risk versus benefit. You're not going to stick stem cells in a needle into somebody's brain simply because they want to get smarter, or you know, or they want to uh, be able to do math faster right. or whatever. It's these are people who already had significant deficit. So it's so really interesting. Also, the potential benefit was tremendous. So it's interesting. There seems to be two channels. There are probably many more, but 
um, in terms of the application of the stem cells. So there's this, that what we're talking about now where it's like taking stem cells and I'll call it seeding the garden, right? So you have a damaged heart, you're not replacing the heart, but you're putting new cells in that make it function better. Same thing in the brain versus these other things that we've talked about that I, we've written about in bottom line about producing whole new body parts, new esophagus for esophageal cancer, new bladders, um, where they're starting, you know, taking a stem cell and literally growing body parts. Yeah, you know, it, when you give stem cells, and we talked about the heart for a minute, um, they don't necessarily get engrafted into the heart and make new muscle like a seed. They actually cause a repair mechanism and, and basically signal things to come in toward the heart to, to have an impact. And if you look down the road, those cells aren't necessarily still there. Now we are doing a lot of work in the lab, especially Dr. Atala, who's done some remarkable work um, on bladders and, and other hollow organs, as you've described, where you can actually take a scaffold, put the stem cells on it, and grow those organs. And it's, it's just the beginning of where I think we're going to see a lot more um, functional organs be produced over time. And I know they've, they've already done, I guess, esophagus, right, for esophageal cancer? They've replaced them? done some esophagus, they've done um, trachea, bladder, Dr. Atala, Tony Atala has been doing that for, for a while now, um, and, and some skin uh, applications that are really exciting as well. Um, so there, there's, it's, it's there. What the, the hollow organs are relatively simpler uh, because they're hollow. Um, but they, it, it, so it's a little more complicated when you start to try to regenerate solid organs that yeah. have different types of cells in them, like a kidney, for example, or a heart. But they've made, they've made some progress in, in regenerating some of the different components of these uh, organs, and that's where now what we're trying to figure out is how do you get them all to sort of work together and turn them into a functional organ now. Right. So how about spinal cord injuries? One of the, you know, the, the big thing, there's a lot of discussion after Christopher Reeve um, and his injury. I mean, if Christopher Reeve got injured today, would he potentially be walking? You know, there's a lot of work. I don't think we're there yet. And that's another area where the function is important. It's not just, there's many different cells in the spinal cord and yeah. you have to get them to talk to each other and have signals to the brain so that you have, um, you know, mobility and, and this whole central nervous system needs to, in a sense, get a reboot. So I don't think we're there today, but we are starting to see um, a lot of progress, and I think that's definitely going to be one of the areas down the road, maybe not today, but certainly five or ten years from now. Right, but moving along. In the nervous system, uh, Sarah, I'd like to say if you've got a lot of skin that's been burned off in a major burn, uh, you just want to replace the skin. You need more skin cells. They need to organize into skin is actually a little more complicated than most people think, but you just need to make more skin. In the case of uh, uh, whether it's a, a stroke or spinal cord injury, that sort of thing, it's not enough just to make more brain cells or more spinal cord nerve cells. They got to make the right connections. Uh, likewise in Alzheimer's, for example. Um, so it's not just making more brain cells or nerve cells. They have to make the right connections. If they don't make the right connections, 
uh, you know, then you really haven't accomplished all that much. So that's the, that's a little bit of the of the trick and, and the part that's a little bit harder uh, to accomplish in the uh, uh, in the nervous system. Uh, but that's actually also being that's 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 being done. It looks like that's going to be uh, overcome, but that's a little bit more complicated. Yeah. If you put in uh, stem cells into a spinal cord injury, um, you can bridge the gap, but they've got to make uh, the gap where the injury was, but they've got to make the appropriate connections so that the brain can still control, uh, you know, arms, legs, uh, other bodily functions. Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. So let's talk about immune, autoimmune diseases, which is a really exciting area. The type 1 diabetes where you're saying there's a cure. MS where I think you're also saying there's a cure. I, you know, when you say cure, so there's a couple of ways to look at that. Your immune cells are destroying the good tissue of the pancreas. So the question is, can you stop that destruction? Or if it's too late, can you then make new beta cells? So there's multiple approaches now using different cells of your immune system from stem cells to actually create new beta cells in people who already have the damage versus to regulate your immune system so it stops destroying the good tissue ahead of know, irreversible damage. So there's two-prong approach for type 1 diabetes. And they're not, it's not like you're growing a new pancreas. These are like simulated immune producing capsules. Is that kind of what I saw? There's, yeah, there's a, there's in, in, in most autoimmune diseases, but let's take diabetes because that's kind of the, the one where a lot of progress is being made. You've got two things that you have to f- figure out. Your own immune system is attacking the insulin-making cells in your pancreas. Uh, the beta, they're called beta cells. And so you've got to stop that autoimmune attack. You know, the, uh, they, they turn, our own immune system is, is turned on us. Um, and that's where uh, cell therapies have, have become uh, really very exciting ways of re-educating, if you will, our immune system to get it to recognize uh, our own tissues, in this case, the beta cells in our pancreas, as being good guys. They're not the bad guys. Leave them alone. And there's a lot of progress that's being made uh, in that area. There's a a clinical trial called the the, the T-Rex trial that is using uh, T-cells, cells of the immune system, and re-educating them uh, and putting them back into the bodies and then the body uh, and the rest of the immune system kind of recognizes what they're supposed to be doing and leaves the beta cells alone. But in type 1 diabetes, because the autoimmune destruction has already been going on, you've lost a lot of the uh, insulin-producing cells, so you also have to replace them. So it's a two-pronged approach to coming up with, uh, you know, a so-called cure, and that those beta cells, those insulin-producing cells, then will have to be replaced, and that's where... Uh, one approach is taking stem cells, manipulating them, and get them to become insulin-producing cells. You don't have to regenerate the entire pancreas. In fact, you don't even the beta cells don't even have to live in the pancreas necessarily. You can put them in a lot of uh, different areas in the body as long as they see blood so they can sense blood sugar and be able to secrete insulin back into the blood. They don't even have to be in the... Uh, they don't even have to be in the pancreas. So that's regenerating these insulin-producing cells from, in, in some cases, stem cells. 
And do they have long-term results yet on the diabetes cure or this the heart, you know, the 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 repairing of the heart tissues? Um, does it does it last forever, or do do they not know yet? I think at this point we don't know. Um, there's if you look at some of the autoimmune disorders, some of the work that Dr. Bird is doing at Northwestern, some of these people who have been in remission, if you will, to cure for now, for you know. 12, 13, 14 years. So the question is, right. is this going to be forever or will they need another treatment in the future and, and time will tell. 12, 13, 14 years is pretty pretty darn good to start, especially relative to the life they were living. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when you say long term, don't forget, this is, a, this is a field that's only, you know, a decade or two old, really, at most. And so, uh, you know, we can't say that we have any, uh, any really long term beyond maybe 10, 12 years like that. Right, so diabetes is, sounds like it's got the furthest work done. How about MS? Hasn't that gotten pretty far as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's a lot going on in MS and lupus and uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and we've seen some of the other autoimmune disorders, um, scleroderma, and some of the others that um, we've seen a lot of progress. So it's exciting. It's an exciting time, and, and the more data we get, the more these will become standard of care. Got it. All right, so let's then, I mean, it's just so, trans, obviously transformative, I mean, of the entire medical platform. Um, so here's a crazy question. If you get stem cell treatment, and I have no idea how much this stuff costs, and we'll talk about it later, but a lot of these things are, I'll call them chronic illnesses, right? Once you have a heart attack, now you're on a long pile of drugs for a long time. Type 1 diabetes obviously is a lifetime in my business. I call it a continuity program because they're buying insulin forever and ever and other drugs. MS, same thing. So is there a bizarre like counter desire that these things may or may not work? Because it, it kills the entire pharma business. Well, How's that I mean, for a politically incorrect question? No, no. And uh, the way I try to explain it to people is, Pharma's going to be just fine. They're, yeah, they they ain't going they ain't going away. And what happens is, the the companies that are going to promulgate, put these things out, get them through, they get to a certain point. You're going to see big pharma jumping into these cellular therapies. I, I uh, there there will always be a place for some for for medications, but I think cells are just smarter than than drugs because they can do so many different things and you put them in the right place at the right time and the cells can kind of figure out what they're, what they're supposed to do. But I, I don't think, and, and you know, Robin is closer to, to some of this than, than I am. I don't, I don't think we have to weep for the uh, big pharma. I think they will, they will come in and buy these things up and they'll be the ones that end up uh, selling, the, uh, uh, selling the cellular therapies. Well, which yeah, is, I mean, they have the resources to be able to scale and make these more affordable. And, you know, I think we've already seen some of that, especially with the gene therapy companies and, and some of these cell therapy products. So it's, um, you know, it's an evolving process in healthcare, whether it's information from big data, whether it's, you know, cell therapies that are emerging. And there's going to be a, a shift in how we deliver care in the future. And, and those that can get behind this and embrace it will um, be fine. Well, and it's, again, it's just so huge. If you can repair your body and you do not have to live on the 
not only the drugs, but the side effects and the cascade of effects. Because one one creates a side effect, you need another drug, another drug, which is, is this mushrooming effect in that world. All right, sure. I'll spare you answering me that. Um, let's talk about cancer, because that's been, I think, one of the really big, big areas where it's stem cells and then other immunotherapies as well. So can you talk a little bit about the, the array of therapies that are coming up in the cancer world? Sure, and, and by the way, that's, uh, those are some prime examples of how uh, a couple of big pharma companies uh, have come in and they're the ones that have taken it across the finish line, if you will, from a research project to FDA-approved drugs um, and FDA-approved treatments. Uh, that was done by a couple of the really big pharma companies. So uh, that, that's an example of how uh, instead of using chemotherapy, for example, to treat leukemia uh, in children, uh, a type of leukemia called ALL, uh, acute lymphocytic leukemia, uh, this is a one-time treatment that looks to be a cure. Um, it is also a half-million-dollar treatment that looks to be a cure, and that's a different uh, argument or discussion. But let me right. describe that is um, uh, th this is now an FDA-approved treatment for ALL in children who have failed chemotherapy to treat their ALL. And in most cases, a chemotherapy will do the trick. But in a handful of, uh, of children, uh, they can't stay in remission with chemotherapy. So what they do is they take the T cells from these children, genetically manipulate them so they can now recognize the leukemia cells in the child. They grow them in the laboratory, they genetically manipulate them, and then grow them in the laboratory and put them back into the child. And now these T cells, which are the killer cells that should be killing off the leukemia to begin with, they are now in, uh, they now know what they're looking for. They've got the receptors and they know what the targets are and every leukemia cell has a target painted on it. It's a target rich environment for these cells and they go crazy and they just kill every leukemia cell that, that, that they can come across. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult treatment, uh, but it looks like not only does it cure the leukemia, but your immune system makes what are called memory cells, which is the same thing that we do when we get vaccinated, say, for measles. The reason that, you know, 10 years from now, if we're exposed to measles, um, we don't get sick with measles is that we've made memory cells that recognize, in the case of measles, recognize the memory or recognize the measles virus. In the case of leukemia, it makes memory cells that recognize the leukemia cells. So if something comes back, it's there and ready to knock it out. And so that's the, uh, the beauty of this particular kind of uh, immunotherapy. And a similar one has been done in adult, uh, a type of adult B-cell lymphoma. Uh, both you, are FDA approved. This is not somewhere down the road, someday science fiction. This is already not only happening, it's approved and ready to be used, but at an extraordinary cost. I had a friend whose daughter had ovarian cancer. She was like 16 years old, had some wacky, freaky, rare ovarian cancer early and went through rounds of chemotherapy. And then last thing was that they knocked out her immune system and then I think gave her a whole, I guess, stem cell replacement. 
Is that, is that being done in other cancers? Is that a similar kind of thing? Definitely looking to use immunotherapies for solid tumors like ovarian, um, you know, breast, pancreas. Those are not quite as responsive at this time, but they're looking at how you take cells of the immune system to target those cancer cells and destroy them. So um, we're seeing more progress in that area, especially like glioblastoma, brain cancer. That's another area where there's a lot of clinical trials and we're trying to target those particular cells. Well, I think she had that. She had her whole immune system replaced, I guess. Well, yeah, that they, would be the, um, the bone marrow or stem cell transplant. Right after the chemo, that. after the ovar- the cancer went away, I'll call it after the tumor was shrunk. Then they replaced her immune system. Right, and what I'm thinking may that may be the case is that the chemotherapy uh, that she got to kill the cancer also knocked out her immune system, her bone marrow. Right, and so. Uh, it wasn't necessarily, the bone marrow transplant wasn't necessarily directly aimed at the cancer. It was at repairing the damage that the chemo had done, the chemo that uh, uh, cured or, or at least put into remission her ovarian cancer. So it was sort of an indirect, uh, the, the chemo killed the uh, cancer, but it also killed her immune system. So then she had to be rescued with a, uh, with a bone marrow or stem cell transplant. Well, is that almost a standard process that people who have had cancers and had you know, heavy-duty chemo, is that something that somebody should ask their doctors about in terms of rebuilding their immune systems? Because so many people's immune systems, if they don't get totally wiped out, they're certainly knocked down heavily. I think you'd only do that um, if it was really destroyed. I mean, it's we've seen so many miraculous cases where it's done good, but Anytime you put cells into your body that are someone else's, there's the risk of, risk of rejection, and there's always a risk of what you put in rejecting your body. So you reject it, it rejects you. So we've made a lot of advances in, in that as well, but it's, it's not risk-free, and you wouldn't just do it to get a stronger um, immune system. You'd only do it if yours was completely ablated. Got it. And you know, we referred to rejection before. So there are certain uses of, of stem cells where there is still rejection if it's getting cells from an, someone outside of who you are. And then versus if it's my own tissues or my own stem cells, then is there there's no rejection issue at all? If it's your own, you're not going to reject them. Um, you know, your cells would be good maybe for a sister because you have the same mom and dad. The genetics is, is more similar. Um, probably not for your husband unless... Um, Somehow you're, you got lucky and you had similar genes, um, but, but there's a, a range between your own and, of course, a twin um, versus someone who's completely different. Gotcha. So what are these, the experience of these treatments like? I mean, they're miraculous, but it's how, how much of an ordeal is it for somebody physically to go through? Is it, you, you know, is it outpatient surgery or is it months of preparation and then months of recovery? Well, give me a feel for that. It all depends. It, it, it completely depends on, on what, we're, what we're talking about. If you use stem cells to regenerate skin from a, from a major burn, that actually can happen fairly quickly and, and, and fairly straightforward. If you're talking about a stem cell transplant uh, where you really have lost all your bone marrow in your immune system, that is a big deal. That, that requires... Uh, at least weeks uh, of isolation because while your immune system is being rebuilt, 
you're basically completely naked and vulnerable to every cold and virus and bacteria that comes along. So it, it, it varies tremendously on, on what it is that, that, we're, that what we're talking about. If you're talking about rebuilding cartilage in your knee, you know, that may be a little bit of an uncomfortable or painful thing, but it's not like you're going to spend weeks in a hospital. Yeah, the transplant itself is really an IV injection. That's not the big part. It's, um, it's really the preparation for it. As Max said, it's the depletion of that immune system, so it's hard chemotherapy or otherwise. So it's, that's really the hardest part, and it leaves you very vulnerable um, to infection and, and other things during that time period. I would say the transplant itself is a few hours of infusing the stem cells. Yeah, so it's kind of anticlimactic. It's just sort of a, a basically like a little blood transfusion is all you're getting uh, in that case. In the case of stroke, for example, where we talked about earlier, you know, they've got to drill a, a small hole in your, uh, in, in your skull, which sounds like a big deal, but it's not as <laughs> You don't want to volunteer for it if you don't need it. But Not, it's not, not a hobby done in my basement. <laughs> well, it could be. You know, they used to do that in the old days. They, they drill holes in people's heads to let the evil spirits out, but I think we've progressed a little bit beyond that. Let's hope so. Uh, but that, in that case, you know, the injection in there, that's a relatively, uh, as brain surgery goes, that's relatively uh, minor. You wait uh, a, a day or two to make sure there's not some other bleeding or anything else, and you're monitored for infection, of course. But from that point on, you're, you know, you're kind of on your own and just waiting for the stem cells to, uh, to do uh, work their magic, uh, as it were. Right. Okay. So where does somebody go to find out a what's available be a practitioner and a lot of these again it sounds like they're still mostly in clinical trial phases yeah, I mean if you want one sort of a directory if you will you can go to the clinical.gov website which is the NIH site from the trials. the clinicaltrials.gov it's, yeah it's clinicaltrials.gov that's where the actual you know FDA approved clinical trials are, are going on um, it's a little bit unwieldy. It's, it's not easy to navigate, but all the information uh, is, is in there, and that gives you, you know, where the legitimate clinical trials are. And then you go and you find out and you see even if you qualify for it. I mean, right. Because they're clinical trials and experiments, they, they are fairly restrictive in most cases in terms of who they accept. Uh, because, you know, when you're doing the experiment, you want to limit as many variables as you can so that you're trying to really figure out if the treatment you're doing is what's really giving you uh, the benefit or causing the change. And, and so it can be, some of these can be pretty restrictive in terms of whether or not you're able to, uh, to get into them, but that's, you know, that's the place to, to go uh, for that. Um, as, as Robin knows, because she spends a lot of time I don't want to say I want to say counseling people um, because there are so many because the promise of stem cells is so great there are a lot of groups and individuals and companies and so forth that have gotten way ahead of the science and they're promising a lot that quite frankly we don't know that they can deliver and um, and charging a lot of money for it. And so if they are promising that this will fix everything, 
from your acid reflux to your immune system to your cancer, uh, you know, to baldness and erectile dysfunction, uh, the chances are that if it's too good to be true, it probably is at this point. Because we, while the promise is tremendous, you know, we're still working on it. And so you've got to be very careful about when you go to some of these uh, private clinics. So at this point, is it pretty much make sure that it goes through a university or a major hospital? I mean, I think that's that's easily uh, the, the the way that you're going to be protected, if you will. And in general, uh, they're not going. They, you know, the cost is not going to be the same. Some of it's going to be borne by whatever company or organization is sponsoring the trial. Some of it will be covered by your health insurance, hopefully. But you know, when you go to these private or individual clinics, some of which, by the way may very well be legitimate, but at this point, it's kind of hard to, to, to sort that out. Um, you know, they may be asking you for $30,000, uh, you know, for, for a treatment and that we don't know whether or not they're really going to, really or not, whether or not they're really going to, to work. And, and speaking of some of those clinics, some of that work, um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to denigrate uh, some of these places that are actually doing some, some good work. In some cases, some very legitimate scientists are and, and doctors are doing some of these, some of this work and some of these trials offshore um, in what may be very legitimate places. It's a little bit hard to figure that out, um, but in ways that so they can advance and do some of these trials in ways that are hard to do or impossible to do in the states. Um, but again. Uh, buyer beware when it comes to this sort of situation. So Robin, does your stem for does your stem for life foundation or some other website have I'll call it a directory of um, ailments, you know, diseases that are being addressed so that people even know to go look for a clinical trial and or any lists or advice on great people that are doing this or buyer beware, dangerous places that you should avoid. And I think the internet helps you now learn a lot about what's going on around the world, but you need to be careful. What I always tell people is don't just believe what you read. Ask for references, you know, check people out. Don't just jump because there's, there's a promise. Um, we're working on a couple of things. One, a directory and, and making it easier for people, but also a registry and yes. having everyone who gets treated with stem cells go into the registry, and then those patients are followed long-term. And I think that will help. We have this for a bone marrow transplant where everyone who gets one is, is in the registry. And so the more we can have accountability and follow patients longer term, we'll be able to make more inferences as to what's working and what isn't. Yeah, that sounds like a really good thing to be doing. All right, so last question. What's, what's I'll call it, on the, the biggest, like, coolest sci-fi horizon that you guys you know when you're talking talking among yourselves you go holy moly i can't wait till do they do this or holy moly did you hear about this that's moving along is there like a whoa besides all this is you know all this is impressive but is there one thing that you're like wow that's like amazing super amazing i think i think robin's going to have a different answer than, than, than i am so i'm going to let her you can both answer i've got I've got a couple of things on my list, but I don't think they're the same ones that are on hers. You both get to answer. I think there are two things that are particularly interesting. One is if you take a person's stem cells, 
and you put them next to a young person's stem cells, you're able to send signals, even though they actually don't touch, they're just right next to each other, to signal to those older stem cells to behave like young stem cells. So I think there's a lot of work in anti-aging that we're gonna see, because we all have stem cells, they're there, but as you get older, they don't work as effectively to treat um, sort of your symptoms of aging or damage that occurs through trauma. And so um, getting these cells to be young and, and vibrant and, and able to repair is really exciting and something I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that, that science will continue to advance into the clinic. The other area um, is just really amazing to me is this whole gene therapy, CRISPR technology. And many people believe, while it's very early, that you actually will be able to use those with stem cells. You'll be able to put stem cells back after you engineer the, engineer the DNA in them to repair damaged tissue and even things, um, sort of rare diseases. And, and I think the combination of the two it has a real uh, exciting trajectory for the future. Got it, those sound great. How about you, Max? Well, damn, she took one of mine, um, and, and that is the whole anti-aging area. Yes. Is, um, it looks like we may be able to, to really do some significant rejuvenation. Now, you know, I don't think anybody wants to live to be 100 or 110, um, you know, the way most of us think of being 100 or 110, which is... Uh, you know, barely able to remember your own name, never mind anybody else's, uh, you know, wearing diapers and, and, and in a wheelchair. Uh, that's not, you know, that's not what anybody really wants. But by using some of these stem cells for regeneration and rejuvenation, if you will, we might be able to expand not our, not our lifespan, but our health span so that we can stay, you know, vibrant and mobile and, and active, uh, partly by well, one technique is what Robin described, having uh, old young stem cells talk to old stem cells and, and getting them to behave more like young stem cells, because that's those young stem cells that we have, uh, or the stem cells that we have, whether they're old or young, uh, are the ones that are really repairing our tissues and, and you know keeping us relatively healthy. So if we can take those and, and juice them up a little bit, um, we may be able to have a stronger immune system that will fight off cancer. Uh, we may be able to repair damage in our skin and our bones and our cartilage um, and whatever else is you know, involved in, in aging, which includes cognitive decline. So the anti-aging part, I think, is, is really, really uh, exciting. Um, and then using some of these stem cells in more specific ways to treat some of the diseases uh, that we're all kind of prone to as, uh, as, we, as we get older. I, you know, I gave a talk uh, to a, uh, my college reunion uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, my closing lines, uh, line was, listen, the cavalry is coming. Just hang on a little bit longer, and things are going to get better. We're going to get rejuvenated and, and be able to move beyond the age that we're at, but get much older and, and much healthier. So, you know, 80 will be the new 60, I hope, something like that. Wow. Well, we might, I might, you and I might need some cryotherapy before then. <laughs> <laughs> Freeze us for a while, and then uh, when, when the technology's ready, we can come back to life. 
And it's on its way. It's on its way. Hang on. All right. Well, Dr. Robin Smith, Dr. Max Gomez, their book is Cells Are the New Cure and a Whole New Horizon in Medical and Health and Wellness. So thank you so very much. Thank you for having us. Thanks. It's a lot of fun. I hope people really uh, pay attention. The, the revolution is coming. They, yes. And that's, that's why we do these, because they need to be aware of things that they're not finding, about, finding out about from their docs and from the televisions. So thank you. Thank you. I'm talking to doctors Robin Smith and Max Gomez about the remarkable healing successes of stem cell therapies. Stem cells used to be at the center of ethical battles, and now, due to new medical advances, they're actually at the center of incredible healing from diseases that were once considered incurable. Certain types of cancers, type 1 diabetes, and MS are just a few of the areas where stem cells are literally working miracles. Dr. Gomez, known well to television viewers in the East as the longtime medical correspondent for CBS Television, has shared his wisdom with Bottom Line's readers for years. Bottom Line Health, which is filled with information from America's leading mainstream and complementary experts on not just disease prevention and treatment, but all aspects of health and wellness, including natural treatments, latest scientific discoveries, identifying risks and symptoms of illness, and most importantly, how to increase your odds of living a long and active life. Bottom Line Health has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 30 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get two free bonus books, Physician's Guide to the Right Medicines and Physician's Guide to Remedies and Cures, both full of some of the greatest tips from our team of health experts. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLH. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLH.